right, we're in Lesson 13. We're in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. And we're going to talk about the issue of walking in love. Now, what we're going to see here as we get, we're going to continue on here. We're in the practical part now. Remember, we laid a foundation of doctrine in the first three chapters. And now, Paul's basically telling us how to live our life. Now, remember, when we just in chapter 4, we looked at the whole issue of taking off the old behavior and what? Putting on new behavior. And the way to do that was through the renewing of your mind. Now, he's going to continue on here in chapter 5 with the whole putting on new behavior. And, and the issue is going to be about loving each other. Now, as we get down to verses 3 through 6, he's also going to tell us about some negative things that we need to abstain from. And so we're going to focus some issue on that as well. So let's look, first of all, at the positive, at the issue of loving each other. Look with me at verses 1 through 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God, for a sweet-smelling aroma. Now, here's what we're going to see here. We're, the issue is, is now, we're encouraged now to walk in love. So he's going to tell us how to do that. First of all, each Christian should be an imitator of God. Now, here's the thing. When you talk about the issue of you being a believer in Jesus Christ, I, I'm going to be honest with you. We default to a behavior that is not proper, and, and, and here's the behavior. I'm saved. I've got the hell thing taken care of. I'm going to be with Jesus, waiting for my mansion, but in the meantime, I can just do whatever I want to do. And, and there's a lot of folks in our churches that have that attitude, that mindset. But what you're going to see here is Paul is encouraging his readers, and he's encouraging you and I, that in the meantime, We've got some things that we need to do. And part of that is, is that you and I need to be imitators of God. You and I need to imitate God. Now you say, how in the world can we do that, George? I mean, imitate God? I can't do that. Give me a break. What are you talking about? Well, in other places in the scripture, it talks about us being imitators of who? Christ. He's our example. So you want to imitate Christ in the way that you live your life. Does everybody understand me? The, the thing that you need to be striving for in your Christian walk, and the thing that I need to be striving for in my Christian walk, is that when I face the stuff that I'm facing during the week, and the situations that I'm facing, that number one, I don't default to my old behavior, which is number one, back to the old regenerate mind thing. Okay? But rather, I'm going to imitate Jesus in how I respond to things. So, I'm going to imitate Christ. Each Christian should be an imitator of God. Now, he tells us exactly how to do that. Because you're probably still thinking, well, man, how do you become an imitator of Christ? Well, here it is. We should be like children who imitate their parents. Now, we have a lot of folks here who've had kids. Do, do, you, do you remember when your little one was imitating you? And, and there are times when that was a proud moment, when they were acting like you. But there are also those shameful moments when they were acting like you, when they shouldn't have been acting like you. Do you know what I'm talking about? 
And, and the reality is, is that your children will imitate you because you're their, you're their example before you. And, you know, I'm realizing that more and more as I get older. Because when I was a boy growing up, I kept saying things like, when I get older, I am not going to be like my dad. How many of you said things like that? I'm not going to be like my parents. You get older and you realize, man, I'm a lot like my dad. Do you know what I'm saying? And you said, I'm not going to be like them. And guess what you do? You default to behavior in your life. The reason why is, is because you've had that lived out before you. Some of it's genetic, but some of it is the environment in which you've had that lived out before you so much that you just respond the same way because you don't know any better. You don't know any different. But what he's telling us here is, is okay, for you and I as a believer, if I'm going to follow Christ, if I'm going to imitate his behavior, then I need to be like a what with him? A child. I need to be, in my imitation of Christ, I need to be like a child just witnessing what he's doing and saying, okay, I'm going to do like daddy does. Who's daddy? Well, remember now, you and I can call God, the father, daddy. Because that's what Abba means. Remember, there's Paul, one part Paul says that we can refer to him as Abba Father. Abba is the Greek word for daddy. You can have that kind of intimacy with God, and you can follow what daddy's doing. God the Father is doing. So that's his exhortation. Now, what should we imitate then? Okay, what is it that I need to... Because here's the thing. I can't speak the word and create stuff, George. I mean, he's creator. How can I imitate that? Here's what he's telling us to imitate. Number one, verse two, he tells us, look what verse two, and walk in love. Here's what he's saying. We are to imitate God by walking in love. Hey, let me just say this to you. You want to know what the most important thing you can do as far as the Bible's concerned? The most important thing. You know, for years I heard that the most important thing is evangelism. Sharing my faith. How many of you have heard that? Okay. Yeah, evangelism is important. Because that's an obedience issue. Because we're told to share our faith. But I'm going to be honest with you, that is not the most important thing. You say, well, what's the most important thing? Well, remember when Jesus was asked several times what the greatest commandment is, the greatest commandments are, or, or he asked another lawyer, they would all respond the same way. It was always two things. Number one, to love the Lord God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind. And then number two, what? To love my neighbor as myself. And Jesus would say, upon these two, the whole law hinges. All of scriptures hinge upon those two commandments. The most important thing in the Bible for you and I is to love. To love God, to love each other. So if I'm going to imitate God, if I'm going to imitate Christ, it almost makes sense that the very first thing that I'm going to imitate about him is his what? Love. Because isn't it because of his love that you and I have salvation? If it wasn't for his love, would there have been a cross? Would there have been Jesus dying for our sins? 
I mean, John 3.16, everybody should know that, right? For God so loved the world that he what? He gave his only begotten son for us. Isn't it true? So if I'm going to imitate, the best thing for me to do in imitating is what? To love. To show love for the brethren. In fact, think about it. If you go through your mind, if you study the Bible, if you read the Bible, if you go through your mind, specifically in the New Testament, over and over and over again, you're going to be confronted with the issue, the encouragement, the command, just flat out telling you to love. In fact, this is what Jesus said, John. By this shall they know that they are my disciples. What? By their love for one another. You know how you tell people around you that you are a believer in Jesus Christ? Loving the brethren. Now, church fights, what does that communicate? Yeah, hate. It doesn't communicate communicate selfishness. You understand? Because somebody's decided that their position is more important than the whole benefit of the whole body. Now, how many of you have been involved in church fighting? Okay, a few of you. Okay, I want you to think of it. Some of you are too embarrassed to raise your hand. That's fine. That's okay, but I want you to think back with me. Because I've been involved too. And it's ugly. And it's terrible. But I want you to think back with me. When you think about people who are who are involved in church fighting, you usually got two factions, because that's usually what it takes to have a civil war. Okay? I mean, that's basically what it is. It's a civil war. And have you noticed that the rest, you've got two factions, there's actually three factions. You've got the this, people on this side, you've got people on this side, and then you've got the majority who are just caught in the middle. And the majority who are caught in the middle, this is the prominent thought in their mind. The prominent thought that they have in their mind is concerning the two factions who are at war. Have they forgotten about just all of us getting along? And yeah, they have. Because somewhere along the line, it no longer became what's better for everybody else. It became what? My position is most important. And if we got to blow the place up, fine. And they've blown the place up. In fact, folks, we were blown up here at one time. Do you know what I'm saying? I think if I look back at the history, we have we keep good records. It goes back a lot, 40 years of records downstairs. We were blown up many times here. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Why? I think because we forget what the most important thing is. The most important thing is what? That we express what towards one another? Love. Now you say, what kind of love? This touchy-feely kind of love? I mean, what kind of love are we talking about here? Well, here's the love. Our example is Jesus and his sacrifice for us. You want to know how you should be loving each other? You should be loving each other just like Jesus loved you. That's what he's saying here in verse 2. We should be loving each other. It's, it's a sacrificial love. It's an agape love. Some people like to focus on, on, the, on the Greek words, you know, phileo, which is brotherly love, or, or, or agape love, uh, or eros, which is not mentioned in the New Testament whatsoever, which is an erotic love. But, you know, the reality is, is the agape love that he's, it's an all-encompassing, a self-sacrificing love. And that's, 
the kind of love that Jesus had for us, is it not? In which we, what? Which he gave himself for us? Hey, let's stop for a moment. When we get further on in chapter 5, he talks to us men and saying that you need to love your wives. And it isn't eros. It isn't phileo. It's, it's, it's the agape love, a sacrificing love. Like, she's a part of your body. You need to take care of her. You need to do what, what was needed for her. And so this is our example. We need to imitate Christ in our love for one another, just as he loved us. Now, I want you to notice something. The nature of his sacrifice is as it was accepted by God. When you love like that, when you're following God, you're wanting to be like Christ, you're wanting to be like Christ in your life, and you're loving the brethren with a self-sacrificing love, I can almost guarantee you, you don't need to wonder what God thinks about it. Is God approving of this? He's going to be approving of that. He's going to accept it, just like he accepted the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. I mean, I don't think God, I think it grieves the heart of God when we fight among ourselves. Because God is a God of unity and I think that's that. when we get into the thing where it's our position over somebody else's and what's more important, I think that grieves the heart of God. So what should we imitate? We should be imitating his love. Now, we go on now to verses 3 through 6, and he's going to tell us some behaviors that we need to just flat out get away from, that we need to abstain from. So I want you to notice with me verse 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness let it not even be named among you as is fitting for the saints, nor filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which is not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Here's what I want you to see. A couple, of th- a lot of different things here. First of all, our responsibility. Paul calls believers not to be marked by certain sins. All right, now here's the thing. I, he wants me to be an imitator of Christ now. And the key factor in me being an imitator of Christ is that I love as Jesus loved. Okay? So I'm going to love the brethren. He's going to reverse that now to show you the negative side of things, which is, okay, I will want you, he's saying, to have your life to be marked by certain sins. There are certain sins that should not be, when they talk about you down the street, oh, hey, have you seen so-and-so? Oh, yeah, did you hear about them? Whenever they talk about you, it should not be on people's lips certain sins about you. You, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, you know, like in my first church, you know, we had folks there. You know, when people talked about them, oh, yeah, loose lips, sink ships with that person. I mean, they just talk about everybody. You've got to watch what you say about them. You know, you, when they talk about you, these are things that they should not be talking about you about. Okay? So, Paul calls believers not to be marked by certain sins. So, here's what he's saying. We are to live a life in keeping with who we are. 
You're to live your life in keeping with who you are. Now, who are you? A believer in Jesus Christ, a follower of Christ. So you need to live your life in keeping with that. Now, I'm, I'm 45, so I'm, I'm young, but I'm old. And, and, I, and what I mean by that is, is I remember growing up that there were certain things that I was not allowed to do simply because I was a canon. Do you, know, do you know what I'm saying? Because of what that would reflect upon my family. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You, you, you were, it's like you, you couldn't do those certain things because in the community you were, this, you were part of this family. And if you did that, that reflected poorly on the family. And there was a public shame. Do, do, do you understand what I'm talking about? I mean, that's the way it used to be. It's not, not that way anymore now. Okay? It's not that way anymore now. In fact... It's the exact opposite. If you're not doing stuff, then people are wondering what's the matter with you. You know? But the reality is it's the same kind of thing here. Paul's doing the same kind of encouragement. He's saying to you and I, you need to live your life in the reality of who you are. And the reality of who you are is, is you're a believer in Jesus Christ. So let that be reflected in your life. Now, I am not talking about that you grab, you go down to Goodwill, and you find a big, giant King James Bible that's there on the used book sale or something, and you walk around with a big, huge family Bible. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about that you live your life in such a way, when people look at you and they say, that's a man or woman of integrity. That's a man or woman of faith. That's a man or woman who, who, man, they believe what they believe. Because, I mean, a lot of us know what a Holy Joe is, right, at work? And you just want to stay away from a Holy Joe. But the reality is, is that you be a real person about what you believe. So you need to live your life in keeping with who you are. So because of that, if I'm going to live my life in keeping with who I am, verses 3 through 4, he gives us a list of sins that we just need to flat out stay away from. Here's the number one. Fornication. Refers to all sexual sin outside the bounds of marriage. Refers to all sexual sins outside the boundaries of marriage. Fornication is a broad term. You know, it used to be it was, you know, adultery was, when people thought of fornication, it meant, uh, you know, just having premarital sex. Folks, that is not what that term means. The term is actually far broader than that. It means all sexual activity outside the bounds of marriage. So, for instance, it doesn't even have to include being engaged in a sexual act. It's a sexual activity. So, or, so for instance, uh, we, you know, we just had, we just, in the news, how many of you saw the guy from New York, a representative who just resigned for his Internet stuff? Fits right there, folks. I mean, he didn't engage in anything with any, but he engaged mentally. He engaged emotionally. That fits there. That type of behavior should not be named among us. Did you understand what I'm saying? Shouldn't be there. Shouldn't be there at all. And, and that's a big thing today for men and women. Men and women. So it refers to all sexual sin outside 
of the bounds of marriage. Now, he's going to go on. He's going to be a little bit more specific now. Here's the other thing. Uncleanness. It refers to immoral thoughts, fantasies, and sexual corruption. I mean, look with me. I mean, he's just going to flat out say it right here. But fornication and all uncleanness. The issue there has to do... It's not talking about that you've, that you've got to make sure you wash your hands. It's talking about the purity of your life. So it refers to immoral thoughts, fantasies, sexual corruption. Here's one. You might be saying, well, I don't have to worry about those first two. Be careful when you say you don't have to worry about the first two. But here's the third one. This happens every time you go to Walmart. It refers, refers to being consumed with things. That's covetousness. It refers to being consumed with having things. One of the things that we need to be careful of that we don't get marked by is our materialism. And can I be honest with you folks? That's the God of our age in America, isn't it? Materialism. The, the, the need to have stuff. I mean, it's, it's you know, you, you just got your whatever. And you drive it around for a while. And, 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 you know, you're satisfied with it until the air conditioner goes out of it. And then the guy at work says, hey, I'll take you to lunch, ride with me. And you ride in his new one. And you notice that he's got more options than yours does. And then when you get back in yours and the air conditioner fails again and, you know, this check engine light comes on and, and you're just thinking, I deserve better than this. And you're going to, Lisa's not here, but you're going to her place and, hey, you got a deal? Now, she wants you to have a deal because that means money for her. And we want to help her out, okay? But... Uh, She's not here, so I'm pretending she's here, okay? But, I mean, the reality is, do you know know what I'm saying? The issue is we get consumed by having stuff. And for some people, it's a subtle thing. For some of you, you get sick about it. Do you understand what I'm saying? You get sick about the fact that you don't have something that somebody else does. That's covetousness, folks. In fact, that's right right in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not covet. And you ever heard people, I always find this funny. I try to live by the Ten Commandments. How many of you heard people say that? I can already tell you they're failing at this one. You know what I'm saying? I already know that they. this one it hangs them up. Because we're consumed with having things. We're consumed with having things. So, let's go on now. Filthiness. It has to do with general obscenity, which is degrading or disgraceful. Look at what it says there. Neither filthiness. So, it's basically having to do with being generally obscene in a way that is degrading or disgraceful. And we can fall into it. A lot of times, filthiness is expressed through our mouth, folks, by the way that we talk about people. It shouldn't be even a part of our lives. Let's go on now. Foolish talking. Now, what in the world are you talking about foolish talking? 
This is a form of the word from which we get the word moron. The Greek word is actually from which we get the word moron. So it's basically, can I, if you want to write this down, it's moronic talking. It's talking like a moron. So what he's saying here is, is that that shouldn't even be a part of your life. Now what specifically is he talking about here, meaning talking like a moron? Here's what it means. It's speaking in a way that is reflective of the gutter. Now, how do you know if you're engaged in this? Because we can, you know, because you could quickly say, oh, George, you're just being legalistic about our talking. How do you know if you're engaged in foolish talking? Here's how you know. If you can't talk that way in front of your kids, You know what I'm saying? Oh, here comes my kid. We better stop. If you can't talk that way in front of your kids, if you don't want them hearing your talking, I can almost guarantee you that's foolish talking. I mean, I'm not just talking about adult conversation where, you know, like Gloria and I have to say, kids, walk out of the room. We're talking about something serious. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about if you're ga- engaging in talk, that you have to change the way you're speaking when your children walk in the room, I mean your teenagers walk in the room or whatever, I can almost guarantee you that's foolish talking. Now you might have a problem with that, but here's, because language is fluid, it's always changing. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I can't tell you specifically what type it is, But if you have to adjust your speaking for another group of people, I can almost guarantee you that because you don't want to corrupt them, then your speech is corruptible. Do you understand what I'm saying? Your speech is moronic. Here's what the Bible's saying. You're a moron. Okay? I mean, that's what the speech is talking about there. All right, let's go on now. It's going to talk about coarse jesting. It refers to turning something into that which is obscene or suggestive. You guys know what I'm talking about there? I don't think I need to comment on that. I think everybody knows where where just a simple little thing, you're turning it into something suggestive or obscene. And then you'll make a comment like this, like, get your mind out of my gutter. You know, that's, that's the type of thing we're talking about, where your language is always twisting things to the sexual. I mean, no people like that. I know people like that. And before we start talking about, oh, yeah, I know who they are, you better be careful, because a lot of times you say the same type of things, too. You know what I'm saying? In mixed company, making suggestive things. This is Paul saying this type of behavior should not be named among us. It's just not reflective of who we are. Now, let's just stop for a moment. Fornication, uncleanness, covetousness, filthiness, foolish talking, coarse jesting. That's a lot right there, isn't it?
know what? I've been a believer now 26 and a half years. Okay? And I've been in, I remember being in conservative churches, have been in conservative churches, been in conservative circles, and I remember being told where not to go to eat because you can't go there because they got a bar in, in, in the restaurant or they serve alcohol there, or you can't go to a movie house, or I can remember even as a child growing up and with being with my relatives and they were in the holiness movement, and you can't read the Sunday comics, and uh, still haven't figured that one out. And, you know, just all these different things. How many know what I'm talking about? And, and there was a big emphasis on what you could not do as far as those kind of things. You know what I'm talking about, right? Can't go mix swimming. Bathing, I think they called it. I mean, that's the kind of thinking that's out there. Now, here's the problem. I don't recall the emphasis being on those verses. I don't recall them saying, these are the things that should not be named among you. It's easier to do that other stuff, isn't it? It's easier to make sure that I'm not going to a certain restaurant in town. It's easier to make sure that I'm not seen at the movie house. It's easier to be making sure that I'm not doing all this other stuff that they had rules for and, and waiting to read the Sunday comics until Monday. It's easier to do all of that, isn't it? But man, when I look at these verses, specifically when I'm looking at verses 3 through 4, that ain't easy. Do you know what I mean? Because that's the general nature of our what? Culture. Do you know what I mean? Because around the water cooler at work, there's foolish talking. Do you know what I mean? We live in a community where, by the biblical standards, that filthiness is a part of our community. That's just a natural flow of life. And for you, what you're calling me to here, George, and it's not me calling you, what you're calling me here to, Paul, is that I need to be imitating God in my life, reflecting love towards others, but then all this other stuff can't be a part of my life. That's not easy. That's what he's calling us to. In fact, let me just give you a thought. This has happened here. We have had folks come, and they'll come for maybe a month. They may even come for six months or whatever, and then they just decide to leave. And you want to know what the reason why they decide to leave is? Because we're not telling you how to dress. We're not telling you what music to listen to. We're not telling you where not to go to eat because that stuff's easy to do. What we're focused on here is is telling you these are the things that we need to focus on is our character in being like Jesus. And sometimes it's easier to be told not what to do than to be told who to become. And the emphasis in our church here is on who you become. We want you to become like Jesus. We're not interested in you not just exhibiting a bunch of behaviors. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? These passages are talking about who you become. 
And let's be honest, that's really more important than the other stuff, isn't it? Because I can tell you, because I've been in conservative circles a long time, I can do all that other stuff and still reflect this stuff in my life. And boy, I know some folks who have. And you do too. And the community looks at us and says we're a bunch of what? Hypocrites. This is where we're supposed to be. This is where we're supposed to be. Now, here's what I'm supposed to replace all this stuff with. Because you're like, man, you're talking about a lot of stuff here, George. I mean, I, I just can't. First of all, let me just say this. You can't do it overnight. This is what sanctification is. Sanctification is while you're here in this life, after you've come to know Jesus through salvation, that you become like him. And that takes place up until the point that he takes you home. So this is something that has to be worked on in a lifetime. Does everybody understand me? All right? So what am I to replace this with? Here's what he's saying. We are to replace sinful behavior with thanksgiving. Look at what it says there. But rather, giving of thanks. So my foolish talking and everything, how I'm going to, what I'm going to replace there with that kind of moronic speaking and everything, the suggestive talking, the filthiness, I'm going to, I'm going to replace all of that with, it, with thanksgiving. Now, it's not talking about, hold on a second, because you might be thinking, oh, so now every time I get with somebody, hi, Jim, I am so thankful for you. I am thankful for Jesus today. I am thankful for the beautiful day. I'm thankful for that air conditioner. I'm just thankful. Woo, praise God, I'm thankful. Now, none of you are going to do that. That is not what he's talking about. Bless God. What's he talking about? An attitude of thanksgiving. where you have an attitude of thanksgiving in the way you live your life. That's what's missing. It's not what you know, not the not the religious talk that comes out of my mouth. It's an attitude of thanksgiving. That's what he's talking about. I need to replace it with that. Now here's the reason why. Here's the reason why we've got to be working on this. Now some of you are going to have a difficult time with these next two verses, but you've got to grasp them because they're real. Look at what it says in verse 5 and 6. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Here's what I want you to see. Here's what Paul's saying. Those who habitually practice sin will not inherit eternal life. He's saying here, you got to listen to me. He is saying here that people who habitually are into these things are not saved. Uh, immediately, some of you might think, well, does that mean an addict is, is condemned to hell? That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is if, this, if a person is marked by these behaviors in their lifestyle, it is reflective of who they are as far as their heart. And they're not saved. He goes one step further in the next verse, and here's what he's going to tell you in the next verse, because here's what you need to understand. Do not be deceived, be deceived by empty promises because God judges sin. 
This is one that we struggle with. And you say, what do you mean we struggle with now? Because here's the scoop. I want you to understand me. Especially in our Christian circles. A lot of times if you have children in a Christian home, they're going to make a decision at what age? A lot of times it's when they're younger. But here's what we'll do. We'll tell them the rest of their life they're okay, they're saved. Can I be honest with you? You don't know. And then here's what will happen later. Is later on, they're out sowing their wild oats. In fact, they're sowing their wild oats most of their, most of their lives. I mean, they're, they're living like a hell yet. They're running around. They're doing this, that, or another. And then they die. Funeral happens. And Grandma so-and-so remembers when they prayed a prayer at five. And here's what she'll say. She'll take a verse out of context in Proverbs, which has nothing to do with it, train up a child in a way she'll, they'll go, and they'll not depart from it. They're going to heaven. First of all, that is not what that verse is talking about. You've got to take that verse within its context. What do you mean its context? Well, first of all, remember the context in which it was given. It was given to people who live in the nation Israel. How did you become an Israeli? By birth. By birth you became a child of God. You were part of the covenant. You didn't just become a Jew. It's to those who... It's so talking about somebody not being excluded from the family. That didn't even enter into their thinking. What it talked about was an agrarian culture where if you were raised in a home of a miller, guess who you were the rest of your life? A miller. If you were a farmer, you were raised and trained up to be a what? Farmer. If you were a carpenter, you were raised. So Jesus was trained to be a what, folks? A carpenter. That's what it's talking about here. It's also talking about moral teaching. If you train them up in moral teaching, they'll not depart from it. It's not talking about the issue of salvation. And I talk to people all the time. I mean, I'm talking to people that are in the that, that they're just living hellious life. They couldn't care less about Jesus. But you ask them about where they're going, they'll tell you right off the bat they're going to heaven because Grandma so and so told them they're okay because they prayed a prayer. And this is what Paul's saying: Don't be deceived. People who live in habitual sin are not going to heaven. Why? You can't be deceived by empty promises because they don't know. You know, here's one of the challenges I have for my kids. I challenge every one of them this. Now, all of my children made it as prayed and asked Jesus. They came and talked to us about it at a young age. But I'm going to be honest with you. There have been never times I've had conversations with my kids later on because of their behavior. I'll say things to them like this. I'll say, are you sure you know Jesus? Because the heart I'm seeing, not just the action, but the heart I'm seeing reflects something different. And I'll say things to them like this. I'll say, do not assume that because you're growing up in a house of a pastor that you're okay with God. It has to come down to your personal decision with Jesus Christ. And I know you prayed back then, but are you sure what you were praying? You know, Jonathan Edwards 
great theologians in our history of America, great awakenings and so forth, when he was on his deathbed dying and his children were gathered around him, he was president of Princeton at that time, Princeton University. And, I mean, he, he even to the end, his children are grown at this point. He says, I hope to see you on the other side. So he's constantly challenging them about where they are in their walk with Jesus. So I want you to understand something. Salvation is never mentioned in the Bible as a pastime event. Salvation is always mentioned as a present time event anticipating the future. It's where you're at now in your relationship with Jesus. And, and the reality is, is that you can live a duplistic life where your life is marked by sin, but you're okay with Jesus because you, you prayed a prayer and you got baptized in the local Baptist church. And what Paul is saying to us, we need to be, what, imitators of God, loving each other, abstaining from these things. Don't let them be even named among you. Don't let them be reflective of your life. Why? Because people who practice those things, what, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so don't let anybody deceive you otherwise. Don't let anybody tell you you're okay. That's what he's saying here. Boy, a lot to think about, isn't it? Okay, let's uh, we'll close our time in prayer.